your month, but whatever paradigm or buzzword or theme you kind of use to locate yourself in this journey of life, uh, certainly what is uh, justice, what is social justice, what is social change is a theme that I think has been emanating throughout throughout society, th- throughout maybe f- beginning with the written word. My And my guest this morning is Robert M. Rock. I was kidding Robert about the M, whether it st- stands for Malcolm or Marcus or or, or uh, Mahatma or or, or uh, Martin or, or or other other folks. What what does the M stand for? It stands for Michael. Michael. Okay. So, and many people know in terms of Black Trivia Month, month Black History Month, that or m- many people might not know, but Martin Luther King changed his his name. Oh. So, so Michael was his original name. Really? I yes. had no idea. There you go. Well, you know, life is about learning, right? Cool. So so uh, you're you're kind of in the in that that genre tradition, <laughs> and also in terms of Black History Month or Black Black to the Future Month, it's uh it's somewhat of a question mark about what our real name is. You know, Very I'm not sure if you've done your DNA or the, no. the, the 23 and whatever it is in me and to find out your, uh, um, oh, the stardust of your heritage in, in, in terms of Africa and what, what parts of Africa. But it's fascinating what this, this race construct is all about. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about, well, for maybe 40 minutes in terms of race construct and medical constructs and how we perceive reality and how we, how we kind of heal. So Robert's a third year student at the Yale Med School. Mm-hmm. And we were just talking uh, before the show started about his journey. You're, you're not 30 yet, but you're on, you're yeah. on your way. Closer to 30 than 20. <laughs> you're on, you're on, <laughs> on your way. And we had a chance to meet this past September at Gary and uh, Debbie Desir's uh, event. And she, she brings together, or I say it's historically in terms of James, Jim Comer and, and others bring together a, uh, students of color in the med school kind of universe uh, every September. And that was just, that's always been so moving to kind of see. I haven't missed it since I've gotten here. Isn't that something? Wonderful. Just feels like home. If it feels like home. And I think that's the purpose of the show, Robert, is how do we create a uh, home and warm environment, a healthy and, and holistic environment in terms of the home of, of 24-7, 365, your literal home, your metaphorical home, and your, and your psychic home. So let's just kind of jump jump right into it. Let me just uh, share with the with uh, our our listeners and also our, our audience, for that matter, in terms of uh, Harry and, and the Facebook Live, which I really like. <laughs> but we're going to talk about, believe it or not, medical education. Surprise, surprise! But activism and the and the community health fair. Why is health a social justice issue? Bias and how that relates to larger systemic inequities and something called institute, which that you phrase, which really I, I love. It's a mouthful. Institution, institution level social responsibility to immediate community, institution level social responsibility to immediate community. I mean, that's, that's a mouthful in itself, yeah. but, but let, let's, let's start with the, uh, um, medical education and us and USHJ stands for what again? You United States health justice, United States health justice. So, uh, Robert, just before I, I by the way, I'm going to let you speak. I, pr- I promise it's, I promise at some point you have a chance to say something, you know what I mean? <laughs> you can't say something just, just as, as lastly, by way of background, I started with the urban league back here in the, in the, uh, after divinity school in the mid seventies and was director of health and education, uh, while with the inner city newspaper as editor for 10 years, we, we toyed with the idea of starting a health newspaper. And then lastly, the Connecticut health foundation has their leadership program. And I graduated from class of 2011. And after all those years of knowing something about health or being aware of health or reporting on health, still it just boggles my mind now in terms of what you you and what you're doing in terms of health justice and health equity and how it relates to, to medical education. So let's, let's just, we'll jump right in in terms of medical ed- education and USHJ. Okay. Um, well, I guess a quick 
explanation of what the U.S. Health Justice is. Um, it started in the fall of 2014 as um, an elective for medical students, nursing students, and public um, physician associate students um, who are interested in exploring the intersections of um, domestic health inequality, um, advocacy on the part of health providers, mm-hmm. and really just understanding the history and the different techniques and tools that a person can use to you know, promote health equity on the interpersonal level, mm. on the community level, and on the policy level. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was started by myself and a classmate, Tareem Rahman, uh, that year. And it really st- helped create a community, mm. uh, a place for people with, I want to say, marginalized interests mm-hmm. um, to find each other and kind of reaffirm um, the reasons that they came into the profession in the first place. Yes, yes. So it ran the course of the semester and we did different things. We did, you know, community outings. We um, went to the art museum to explore bias um, as it relates to race, gender, um, things of that nature. Um, we met with various community leaders to, you know, talk about the history of New Haven. Yes. How yes. these, like the concepts of, the structural determinants of health, the social determinants of health manifest in the immediate city of New mm. Haven proper. Mm. Um, our history as Yale medical students, Yale health professional students in that legacy and, you know, where we can interject ourselves to make change in the, in the city right now. And, you know, wherever we end up, wherever boy, our professions boy, take us. Boy. Let me, let me jump right in as you, as you said that Robert, uh, because, this is not to disparage people that have graduated from the medical school, people that still teach there, people that have taught there for teach there and have taught there for 20, 30 years. There was a clearly a need in your mind. Why, what was that tipping point and why did not those, why weren't those initiatives, those strategies, those tactics employed prior to your coming to, to the medical school? Well, I would say when, so the reason that this is such a priority for me has to do with my upbringing mm-hmm. um, in terms of the things that. It, but did, did you see a vacuum? You're, you're, I hear you saying you saw a vacuum. You saw, yeah. You saw a, a gap yeah. that needed to be filled in spite of having offices that are devo- devoted to diversity and inclusion, et cetera, et mm-hmm. cetera. Still the, stu- the new student perspective. Yeah. So there were, a, there's the office of multicultural affairs. Um, and there are various student led initiatives in terms of a Haven free clinic. Um, or various like soup kitchens and volunteer mm-hmm. opportunities. But Tareem and I felt that there was a lack of context. Mm. Um, mm. You can come into a place, you can see, you know, inequality and suffering and you can do something about it. But I think it is the responsibility of anyone who is a newcomer to a place to understand the structures. Say, now, say that again, because that's, that's so key. And I'll tell you why I think that's yeah, so important. Um, I, I just basically think it's the responsibility of, a newcomer to an environment mm-hmm. to understand the structures and the histories that inform the present day disparities and to, you know, jump in and just get your hands dirty without understanding where you fit in the big picture, mm-hmm. what the upstream factors of, you know, lack of health access or significant disparities in health and health outcomes are is, you know, to do half the job, mm. you know, cause you're mm. expending a lot of energy, but are you, thinking about ways of institutionalizing and making your intervention sustainable mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and really giving people, you know, helping people realize the the rights that they 
deserve as human beings, health and and well-being. Indeed. But even that last sentence that you mentioned, isn't that kind of like part of the Hippocratic Oath? Isn't that part of what doctors are supposed to be up to? Isn't that what the institution, the the industry of healthcare is supposed to be all about? I'm still coming to understand what the industry of healthcare is all about. But I would say confidently that it is definitely one of the driving forces that bring a lot of people to the health professions in general. Okay. You know, wanting to make a difference, yes. whether a person at a time or, you know, a community or a country at a time. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Or, or a nation or, or a world. Nation yeah. at a, or a world yeah. at a time. And somewhere in the thick of studying and preparing for the next step and, and survival, yes. that those priorities kind of slip away. Mm. And mm. and there's a culture within healthcare that, you know, doesn't encourage and support that critical thinking, that thinking the big pictures, thinking about structural oppression, um, thinking about intersectionality and interdisciplinary understandings of like the way that social injustice manifests as as sickness. Yes. Um, and things. Of now that say nature. that again. Social injustice. <laughs> yeah. Social injustice manifesting. As amen. <laughs> amen. We're gonna, Harry, we're going to have a book before the show, before the show <laughs> is over. And, and Robert, you mentioned, again, you're listening to the Tom Ficklin show and Robert Rock is, is with us. And I, I can see already yet, Robert, that you got to come back. Uh, Oh, you're a third year student. I, it's my fourth chronological uh-huh. year. Um, I'm doing a research year, but I graduated in 2018. So okay, I'll be so happy be, to come be back. Around. Great. So yeah. Bring, and I'll bring some friends too. I am not alone in this. There you go. So the, the, bring, bring your, your comrades and your army. You mentioned that the course is an, is an elective. Yes. So does that mean, have, what kind of response, elective means it's not mandatory. Have Correct. you found, a, what kind of student response? I have, I've had a chance to attend one. I should have wanted to get to more than one of your your your, your seminars, that, mm-hmm. and that was really provocative. But what kind of response have you found from the students, from your fellow co- comrade students? It's been a growing response. Mm-hmm. Um, the first year we did it, it was a class of twenty students. Um, the second year, I think forty students mm-hmm. applied, mm-hmm. and because these conversations are not just about history and structures, but how we perpetuate disparities in our everyday interactions in terms of the biases that we hold as individuals. Um, You can't have those discussions in a lecture format. Mm. So it has Mm. to be a very intimate group dynamic. Mm -hmm. So we've, since the second running of the course, um, we've capped the course at 32 people. Okay. So although the number of students interested grows every year, um, the course seems, I think everyone is in agreement that it's going to be a cap of 32 going forward. Um, and to really serve the needs of those who can't take the course, we've created the U.S. Health Justice Collaborative, which is a student oh. interest group oh. um, that runs the entire year. We hold events. We um, uh, coordinate with community members in terms of service and things like that. Now, you're you're a student and not a faculty member there. Correct. I'm trying to, you, you've kind of confusing me now. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I mean, I believe this is not a fake news show. This show is a, re, is a reality-based yes. show. So yes. you are truly a student. Correct. Uh huh. I hear you doing faculty work. Some people would say that. So, okay. Some people. Some people would say that. Okay. Great. Great. Uh, this. 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 This is fascinating. And your point earlier about um, when you enter an environment, whether it's in 2016, 2017, 1920, 1820, uh, still there might be traditions and, and people trying to do the best they can while they're there. But but new eyes, innovation, creativity is kind of an ongoing process, and that's what I really love. Love, 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 love what you what, what you've just mentioned. Uh, and again, no disrespect uh, to any of the predecessors at at the med school, and no disrespect to people at Tuskegee and people at the middle at any uh, NIH. But mm-hmm. but again, that's why we have 
new inventions, new, new create. So with for the, your, your imagination, your creativity, your innovation and seeing things newly and, and improving things, improving should be a constant kind of, kind of, kind of operation. So no disrespect to the, to your predecessors and pioneers there at Yale Med, but I guess so respect your uh, uh, coming in and, and seeing how you literally can embody an agent of change and, and, and implement hopefully systemic uh, 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 changes and on that note, from an infrastructure standpoint, after you graduate and after and your your co your co creator, her name again, yes, Tareen Rahman. Tareen, after you guys graduate, what's the the chances likelihood that it'll fall through the cracks or whether they'll have some sustainability? Well, in terms of the course itself, at the moment, it's really led by students. Okay. Um, the wonderful thing is that we've kind of developed. Um, a tradition of passing the course on. So Good, I've only the baton, run yeah. the course once the okay. first year. All right. And every year subsequent, a different group of students have led it. Oh, tremendous. So people who take the class love it enough to make it a priority to make sure that it goes on another year. I like that. Um, they innovate, they tweak the course. It's always a work in progress. Mm-hmm. Um, and the leadership has grown. So in 2014, Tareem and I led the course. Um, the year after, a group of four students led the course. Mm-hmm. And then this Past fall, six students led the course. Boy, I, I love that, and, and not to get religious, but in terms of the the, the, the baptism or the, the indoct- not not even indoctrination, but just to building your your team yeah. and having team sustainability. I love I love that approach, yeah. and that, that's that's so key also because again, the students you're it's you're, 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 rumor has it you're part of the university, so right. <laughs> and just just as an aside, I can re- I think it was was it three. Maybe two weeks ago, the med school students protested. You got guys about the, uh, the Affordable Care the Act. Affordable Care Act. Yes, and I can remember. I think it was last year, the year before, you had the die-ins. With, yes, the white coat die-in. Yeah, and the white coat die-ins. How the st- med students na- nationwide. Um, so the, this this activism seems to be affecting affecting almost everyone in, yeah. the, in, in a good I way. Would, I would say there there's definitely a zeitgeist right now. Oh, now those see the, you, I know you're a student now or a professor. So zeitgeist. Paraphrase <laughs> that. I just. I, <laughs> I think is that a ebonics term? No, I was no. Not. I just wonder. <laughs> you know, I don't, don't want to categorize. I just wonder. Yeah, zeitgeist. I, I think it's Talk just me. like the winds of the time. Oh. For, you know, for lack of a better term. Okay, that we are in a a moment in history when the circumstances are so dire mm-hmm. that people feel compelled mm. to be mm. a part of something larger than themselves. I love that. I love um, that. And, and they are taking it to the streets. They are acting it in their everyday lives. They are speaking truth to power mm-hmm. um, and, and really being the change that is necessary. Yes. In our world. Yes. So, so that, that leads us then to activism and community health fair. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the U.S. Health Justice Course and Collaborative are, are one thing, um, but there are a lot of different organizations and initiatives that are started by students. Mm-hmm. And, and one of them is the Community Health Fair that's run by the Student National Medical Association slash Latino Medical Student Association. And um, this uh, spring, May 13th, actually, um, the organization is going to be collaborating with the Hill Health Center and the you know, the community yes. at the Dixwell, at the Stetson branch of the mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, New Haven mm-hmm. Free Public Library mm-hmm. to hold a health fair. Excellent. Um, that's community collaborative, community run, um, and really talks about health holistically. Okay. In terms of making it a celebration, hmm. you know, um, it's going to be the weekend before the Freddie Fixer Parade. Okay. And traditionally in the, the Freddie Fixer Parade, before you would clean up the community. Yes. You know, clean up the streets, prepare 
for the celebration. So the, the community health fair is going to be the same day of the cleanup with the idea that first you clean up the community, then you clean up yourself. Oh, I love that. So that's where the holistic work. I'm, yeah. I'm trying to follow you. You know, I mean, using all these, I got get my dictionary out here, Robert, <laughs> to kind of, kind of follow, follow the trail. Again, this is for, for, in some, and some folks, uh, psychology or, or psyche, Black History Month, I like to call it Black to the Future Month. Some people, some of my friends call this African Genesis Month. Um, but I heard you mention two organizations. That Latino Month is in oh, mid-September to mm-hmm. mid-October. Uh, I heard you reference another student group. Yeah, Student National Medical Association, which is traditionally, uh, it was founded by, it's the the student offshoot of the national, the NMA, the national medical association, mm-hmm. which is basically the black medical association because in history, the American medical association didn't um, accept black physicians Say that again. in history. Um, the American medical association did not accept black physicians into its ranks. And in response to that, um, you mean after fighting in, in revolutionary war, civil war, uh, Spanish American war, World War One, World War Two, we still weren't accepted. Even Correct. even after we got a medical degree, if you if you could go to school, if you even if you went to Meharry or Howard, you still had to pass the medical boards, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So even after all that, correct? Yeah. What what was this? Go ahead, continue, <laughs> continue, <laughs> man. Yes. Continue. So <laughs> the National Medical Association was created, and I think a few years ago it was the fiftieth anniversary of the Student National Medical Association. Cut it out, okay? Um, which is alive and well mm-hmm. to this day. And they are dedicated to, you know, um, shoring up the pipelines yes. for minority students to get to medical school and to to excel, yes. um, to advocate for um, minority populations mm-hmm. in terms of health disparities and things like that. And one of those, the ways that traditionally um, they fulfill this mission is holding community service events and community health fairs. So that's going to be in, in May? Yes, and that's going to be in May. Boy, boy, that's that, that's uh, that's tremendous. Again, you're listening to the Tom Ficklin Show, and Robert M. Rock is with me, and uh, we're talking. All of my shows this this year are uh, under the umbrella of the theme of social justice, social change, and those phrases might seem stereotypical or passe or even anachronistic, but I just kind of believe that, as you've just alluded to before, every moment is a, is a historical moment. Whether we were talking, we could be talking in. 5,000 BC without the, 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 uh, the radio waves, but still kind of communicating in this issue of social justice, social change. It's just been on my mind separate and apart from what's going on in DC, but in a, in a way the, there is a DC virus kind of emanating like crazy. So how we, how we, how, how can we inoculate ourselves and find antidotes and kind of uh, heal and, and, and repel maybe some of the, the poisonous forces that are emanating out of DC is maybe even makes makes this holistic paradigm that you that you've referenced so 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 important um let, let's let's okay what's on my list here why is health a social justice issue why is health a social justice issue oh, that's a wonderful question um because health happens outside of the hospital mm. in in our everyday lives it's the way we dance the way we celebrate you know, the way we work, mm-hmm. um, take a toll on us for the better, or for the worse. Um, and it's not only our behaviors, but the environments that we live in, whether we have access to clean water, um, clean air, mm. um, safe working conditions. Um, these are all things that influence your ability to maintain a healthy yes. body, healthy lifestyle. And for a physician 
traditionally in in I guess the biomedical frame where cons- it's more about disease treatment mm-hmm. and disease rather than health promotion mm. um and you know in the history of like the medical profession this isn't the case um because there are you know amazing you know forefathers of medicine mm. from like the 1800s who said that you know physicians are natural lawyers to the poor mm. um and that is because systems of oppression um systems of injustice and inequity are the things that produce the sickness that presents itself in the Say hospital. that again. <laughs> systems of oppression and inequity are the things that produce illness. And for a physician who is serious about not only treating disease, but promoting health, you cannot limit your understanding or your area of influence to be the, the hospital room or the clinic. You need to go out where health and illness happen to hmm. really serve your patients as, as whole human beings. So, so, are, so the line between public health and hospital health, that's a false dichotomy agreed. from your standpoint. Yeah, yeah. And just as you were talking, Robert, again, I'm just amazed. What you're saying now, uh, this is 2017, it seems to me, how, how are the, the let's, let's use the colloquial term, the higher ups responding to, it seems to me if you had been, People have been saying Black Panthers mm-hmm. talked about, about about health mm-hmm. and were looked at like crazy, yeah. crazy the young people. lords, young, so young many lords. people. So are you not necessarily accepted? But what's kind of been the response from the the the, the med school community uh, in terms of the administration, the faculty, to your, uh, your your passion and your concern in this regard? I think it's really a sign of the a sign of the times. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, an affirmative response, the kick you to the curb response. What's been the, the receptivity of any. Well, to be honest, portions of the U.S. Health Justice course have been placed in the main curriculum. It's All right. mandatory for everyone. All right. Um, we've gotten great funding to run the course. Okay. And I think there is a critical mass of students, of faculty, of leadership who understand that, you know, the way that medicine is practiced now in terms of a fee-for-service model. You know, somebody comes in, you you patch them up, you give them medication, you, you like, do a surgery, and you get paid for what you do um, is really what's making healthcare so expensive in our country. Mm, mm, if mm. you change the dichotomy to saying it's about health promotion mm-hmm. and it's, uh, it's not just about how much, how many things you do, but how much you actually prevent in mm. terms of promoting population health. Mm-hmm. And the fact that this understanding is being, um, uh, expressed and written out in the way that healthcare payment reform is, we're, we're considering it in the past few years, like going from oh, a fee-for-service fee model to value-based payment, mm-hmm. which is not about how many surgeries you can do, but how much health can you promote? And, and mm. you do that by saying you're going to give a set amount of money to a hospital, a hospital system that is responsible for, you know, some, um, defined population mm-hmm. and it's the hospital system's responsibility to promote health so that if you can make the people healthier, according to whatever metrics are decided, yes. you get to save whatever uh-huh. money. So, so there's an economic incentive. Yes. Yes. Mm. And I would say this economic incentive is a major thing that's pushing um, the healthcare industry and, you know, the academic community towards thinking about these things much boy, more critically. Boy, 
I just hearing you speak and, and reflecting on, on you and, you know, I thought about us kind of having a ch- chance to chat this morning and we were going to do it initially in, in, in January. Then I had to reschedule. Um, oh man, my, mm. what, 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 what I'm kind of hesitating, hesitating, hesitating to say is, are we in your, in your perfect world, in your perfect mind, are we about? Are we abolishing the need for doctors? No. Okay. I would say, in the perfect world, we are dismantling the hierarchy of expertise, um, and replacing it with in replacement with a collaborative, community-oriented um, iteration of healthcare. To say that you know doctors aren't the one aren't the people who know everything there mm, is to know mm, mm, about mm-hmm. how health happens and mm-hmm. how we promote health. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, social workers have expertise. Um, public health officials have Boy, expertise. Community members have expertise. Uh-huh. And for us to kind of flatten the hierarchy so that we can become better team players um, to the shared goal of, you know, increasing and promoting health. Um, I think that's the ideal boy, future. Boy, 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 I, I love that. If, uh, we just, we celebrated, a, some folks celebrated Kwanzaa, you know, this, this past latter part of December, and there's one of the Kwanzaa principles kind of kind of alludes to, to what, what, you've, what you've just mentioned. Uh, that, that, that's profound. That's profound. You're, so you graduate in 2018, 18. and it's, it's kind of still up in the air about what, where you will land yes. after that. Yeah. Somewhere on the planet. Yes. Do you want to be in the States or overseas or? Uh, I mean, so I'm born and raised in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and the things that I saw and experienced personally in New York are what made me interested in medicine in the first place. Mm. Um, so I'm very interested in issues of health, health equity and health activism in the United States. Um, but my parents are originally from Haiti. They okay. came to the United uh-huh. States in um the late seventies, early eighties. So I would consider myself a global citizen. Indeed. Absolutely. Um, And I think aside from going to, aside from like a global health model of like doing service missions in other countries, Mm -hmm. I think we need to flatten that too, because there, if we're talking about population health and, and promoting health with, you know, set resources, other countries have been doing this long before the United yes, States. Yes. So there yes. are things that we should learn from them rather than, you know, exporting our expertise. Um, so <laughs> our colonial mentality. Yeah, mm-hmm, exactly. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. my heart will always be with the communities within this country that too, too often go yes. neglected. Yes. But I believe that, the solutions to our problems are somewhere on this planet. Indeed. indeed. Um, and, and they, they aren't uh, confined by borders. Tremendous, tremendous. And I, I don't want to put you again, you're listening to the Tom Ficklin show and the, I'm with the pleasure of being with Robert M. Rock, uh, uh, third, fourth, fifth, seventh, eighth year student <laughs> at, at the med, Not that long. <laughs> at, at the med school. Uh, but certainly he, he strikes me and I think I can say this comfortably on the air as a person that, believes and even promotes lifelong learning and, and the process of how do we kind of continue to strive and be, oh, be a, be a global citizen of, uh, uh, and, and, and to commune with, with one another. I don't want to put you on the hot seat about the Affordable Care Act, but because we, we will continue to hear a lot about that. Mm-hmm. But in brief, 
are you comfortable in saying anything about some of the trends we, we hear in the news, of course, about attempts to, to modify, reform, replace uh, current legislation? Um, any thoughts in that regard about what's, what's going on from the political or tactic or strategy standpoint or how it might be even impacting the institutions and how institutions are perceiving their, their economic model moving forward? I think um, repealing the Affordable Care Act would be a grave mistake mm-hmm. that would you know, threaten to take health care away from 20 to 30 million people, mm-hmm. but would also threaten to bankrupt our country mm. economically mm. Mm. as it regards to the healthcare industry and insurance not being able to respond to this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm 100% do not um, take healthcare away yes. from 30 million people. Yes, yes. But I would also say that we are not, that ACA is by far not perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, if we decided to take notes from other countries, we could learn about mm. how it could be improved. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I think if we, you know, gave up ego mm. and put human beings before our pride, before profits, we could find an incredible solution. Mm. And, and, and my mind went there, guess, as you can well imagine, naturally, because hearing the last 20 to 25 minutes, your, your passion, your idealism, your, your practical idealism, I would say, and, and, your, and your, your strategies. And then we have the political environment of the world and how that kind of sometimes is not as colorblind as we would like it to be. Mm-hmm. And you, you mentioned ego. That's kind of a, a, a metaphor, but you, in your mind, it's a reality as well. No, it's a reality. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so Harry has an ego. <laughs> Everyone has ha- an ego. Harry, you have an ego, man. Did you know that? He, he knows that he's sitting, sitting he, he's sitting back there. <laughs> so you have an ego. Yes. Where, where is it located? Is it between your ears and your shoulder? <laughs> I mean, if I put an x-ray, if I did a mammogram, not a mammogram, is there an egogram that I can do so I can see if mine is large or small or pink or red? Or- I mean, I would say, it's it's in the way we think. It's it's ingrained in our understanding of ourselves and our understanding of the world. Okay. It it biases us. It okay. affects how we prioritize things. So so let's jump to bias and how it, how that relates to larger systemic inequities. Yeah. So um, bias, um, systemic bias, racism, sexism, ableism, all of these you know horrible isms. Mm-hmm. A moment ago, you said that, you know, um, the D.C. virus is infiltrating our, is coming down. Yeah, our body, infiltrate. mind, spirit, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. our body, mind, and spirit. And I would argue to say that, you know, things that started in the human being in terms of the biases that we have and the ego that we have is what, you know, started what's happening in mm. D.C. Mm-hmm. So I would say it's the other direction. Okay, I got you. Um, I'll go with that. And I would push against, I would say, you know, we need to be you know, heightened in our awareness of what is going on. Um, in national politics, but we cannot let that consume us entirely. I like love that. I would say that we should use this as a metaphor for, you know, what's happening in our immediate communities and the way mm. that we treat each other mm. in mm. terms of the dehumanizing narratives that mm-hmm. have been allowed to, you know, take hold of our society and the way that we view each other and the way that we view ourselves. So, so the macro micro kind of comes, yeah. Is, yeah. comes aligns. Yeah. And then that is to say that the micro biases that we harbor within ourselves that you know influence how we perceive each other treat one another expect Mm -hmm. of each other are what feed into um 
the biases that are ingrained in the policies to perpetuate mm. inequality in our country, mm. in our world. And, and I hear you saying a little bit, I don't want to put words in your mouth, that, that our, our cultural traditions, our, our political traditions have produced what's going on. Yes. It's kind of, kind of the, the latest super, super Mac, yeah. <laughs> super T down there, mm-hmm. and that each of us have contributed to it. And similarly, each of us should contribute to negating it. Agreed. Uh, that that's quite that's that's quite a vision. Are you sure you're not a minister? No. no, no. Okay. I, think, I think I heard this sermon. I think I heard this sermon yesterday. I think I heard, uh, or at least Friday had he had uh, you know Barber from the Moral Moral mm. Mondays was up at the Div School on Friday. I think I think I heard this sermon. I think I heard this sermon before. And, and some some sermons are worth worth listening to forever, ever, and ever. So jump to implicit bias, explicit bias. Uh, Yale has their social cognitive development lab and Yarrow Dunham's the director. We've had Yarrow on the show briefly and we're going to have him back. Um, but I've been really intrigued with the, uh, as you know, the implicit bias test was kind of mm-hmm. created here at Yale, uh, maybe 10, 20, 30, maybe 15 or 20 or so years ago, but there's been various derivations and I had a chance to attend one of your, your presentations. And so you, 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 you find it to have some utility this, this test, this, this, this research in terms of implicit bias, explicit yeah. bias. Yeah. Share with a little bit about I think that. it's wonderful when you can make something as slippery as bias and, and racism in our society, objective and concrete in the form of number. Um, however, I feel that is not the end, mm-hmm. you know, that would be a conversation starter. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the research when the implicit association test is used, there are times when people challenge the test instead of challenging mm-hmm. themselves. Mm-hmm. And the implicit association test will tell you you have, you know, bias towards one group more than another. But the implicit association test doesn't tell you where this bias comes from. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that has everything to do with the culture that we were raised in, that's where the bias comes from. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, you know, take a critical look at the culture, um, the, ass- the assumptions embedded in that culture, the numbers can only take you so far. Mm. And so that is why um, during the first iteration of the U.S. Health Justice course, we added a session, it's an art tour called Making the Invisible Visible, mm-hmm. Art, Identity, and Hierarchies of Power, where we use works of art as static representations of Western culture. And we take, you know, health medical students, nursing students and PA students in front of a particular work. PA is physician physician associate mm -hmm, students. mm -hmm. Um, We sit them in front of the works of art and we take them on a step-by-step method of visual analysis Mm. um, to see the biases that are inherent in the art. Give me, can you, are you, can you give me an example of a piece of art? Yeah. That, that you... So um, if you go to the Yale Center for British Art right now and you go to, like, it's on the fourth floor, um, there is a portrait of Elihu Yale. Um, it's Elihu Yale. Donated, with donated the, all the books. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Who Yale is named after and donated all the books, you know, at famous time, guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a, a painting of him um, at the signing of a marriage contract between his um, daughter and the brother of a duke, the Duke of Devonshire, mm-hmm. right? And there's nothing unique about these paintings. If you look at other paintings from the time, it's people use paintings to tell stories, mm-hmm. um, to tell stories about power, to influence the way they wanted the society to view them and the way they wanted society to view the world. Yes. Um, so that's not a surprise. 
when you take someone with a modern lens to look back at that painting that was normal in its Mm -hmm. time and you ask them to look for the assumptions that are required to understand this painting in its context um, in terms of what power looks like, um, who is human, um, you know, who is of value. It begins to highlight assumptions that we all take for granted, but never really speak about candidly. So this is a paint. So the Elihu Yale painting is a description of um, the signing of a marriage contract between his daughter and um, the brother of the Duke. There is no woman in the painting, which says something about this is about power and the transfer Mm -hmm. of power. Mm hmm. And it's predicated on this union. Somehow the people who created this painting felt comfortable enough to like exclude women yes. from the discussion. Yes. Which yes. is very uh, pertinent to discussions mm-hmm. that we're having today. Another, you know, challenging thing within that painting is that in the corner. So, you know, it's a yes, bunch of in the cor- yes. Yeah, it's a bunch of men sitting around a table um, in their powdered wigs, you know, of varying ages of white men. Um and in the corner, there's a young slave. Mm. Uh, and in the painting, the slave is used as a way to convey the wealth and the power mm-hmm. of the people in the painting. Mm. It is still up for debate whether or not the slave is supposed to belong to Yale or to the Duke. Mm-hmm. Um, but to say that, you know, this is how the person that the university wanted to name, wanted people to consider him indeed included slaves in the absence of women yes that's really powerful in terms of our discussion about you know medical culture about american culture about western Mm. culture Mm. um because i mean there are people alive today who can remember when yale didn't allow women to college or to the medical school then then, then we jump to the early 1930s and we name a residential college after, yeah. after somebody <laughs> somebody who is a strong proponent of slavery and one of the one of the strongest yes. and articulated and persuasive yeah uh fascinating uh we're going to jump speaking of jumping because again i mentioned earlier that you're coming back so that's a that's a that's a public <laughs> we, ha- we have that on tape institutional level social responsibility to immediate community institutional level social responsibility to immediate community yes um you come into medical school idealistic passionate little naive um and it's really the responsibility of your educators and the administration to really like shape your identity Mm -hmm. as um, a future healthcare provider um however there are many times in the history of this country in terms of like how medical institutions are situated in the center of you know predominantly minority communities lower advantaged communities and a lot of institutions really don't consider their responsibility to their mm, immediate mm, um, surroundings mm, aside from mm, patient care. Mm. Uh, I think we are at a point right now where people are holding institutions accountable yes. in some important ways. Um, and I think that should be present in, in medicine as well. Great, great. And when we when you come back in the spr- later in the spring, we're going to follow up on that. And if, and Harry, thank you so much. This is the Tom Ficklin Show, and Robert Rock has been my my guest. Uh, we're going to th- this this 
audio tape will be available also on iTunes. So I'm going to put a lot of um, uh, tags and, and, and various citations and, and blog listings to, to some of the topics you've discussed. Great. Really been a pleasure to have you. Thank have you. you and you see the time flies man yes the, the time flies yeah so whenever we, you talk about this stuff i just light up <laughs> well we're going we're going, to, we're going to light you up again and, and soon, cool, cool. And soon i'll bring friends and soon <laughs> harry thanks so much cool. it's been a-